all the good things. We got all the good things. When life gives you super sour lemons, add a lot of sugar and make lemonade. What you're going through, you're gonna find nuggets of gold that you're gonna be able to use later in life. I'm here today to say, despite all these horrible things that I've quickly touched on, I'm okay. Hello friends, welcome back to All The Good Things Podcast. I am your host Esme. And I'm your other host, Melissa. And we are so excited today because this is our first ever episode with a special guest. So drum roll, please. (laughs) (laughs) We have with us Rachel Engstrom. And Rachel, do you want to introduce yourself quick? Thanks so much for coming. We are so excited to have you here to share your story. And um, it's such a small world. Rachel and I actually discovered that we know each other we have like a distant connection (laughs) she knows my dad she's been friends with my dad for nine years how do you know him again i totally totally forget yeah through the leukemia and lymphoma society he actually um came and spoke at the kickoff dinner for or actually the night before the dinner um before my first half marathon in 2012 that i did and he spoke and then my late husband actually got to meet him and was so excited that someone actually authentically got what he was going through amazing that's so special well you guys are all gonna hear a lot more about that beautiful story before we dive into rachel's uh story today one of the things we always start our podcast with is just sharing a little good thing that's going on in our lives so melissa what's a good thing that happened to you this week Yes, what's present in my life right now that I'm really enjoying is honestly, it's the little things. I got to watch Game of Thrones with my husband on our couch eating takeout Indian food and it was just the most serene, calm night. And those are the kind of nights that I took for granted before the pandemic. So now that we're in it, I'm extremely grateful for this moment to just be able to chill on my couch and actually love a night in. Thanks for asking, Esme. I'm going to pass it to you, Rachel. What's a good thing going on in your life? Yeah, so I actually, within a week's time, because I didn't feel well last week, I've been binging and almost completing the entire series of Felicity on Hulu, (laughs) (laughs) which I haven't watched in like 15 years. And then as of yesterday, I discovered, so I actually have some health conditions where I can't drink, um anything with carbonation or anything like that so I've had soda in almost four years and I discovered root beer peeps so they're amazing and it tastes just like soda (laughs) oh yay we love an alternative oh oh my gosh we love an alternative (laughs) I was I was thinking the reverse combination there I was imagining a can of root beer that was peeps flavored no, they're like, peeps Whoa. that are red beer flavored. I got them for the Easter bunny and <laughs> I ended up getting myself several. I love that. <laughs> also, because this is a podcast and you can't see to just share what happened. She literally had this this bag of peeps immediately within arm's reach <laughs> and just pulled them onto the screen. <laughs> so we got a glimpse. Those are awesome. Yeah, it's the small things. They're amazing. Made me super happy. <laughs> amazing. Thank you. Um, my good thing this week is a really big good thing. I'm so, so, so stoked to share this. I started a brand new job. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I, ha- I have a salary now. So I'm super, super excited. Um, I get to be at the Core Power Yoga in Studio City in Hollywood, um, which I'm really nervous and excited for, but it's been going really well. And we have lots of students ready to dive in and who are just super stoked to be back on, on their yoga mats in person. So congratulations thank you so much yes. it's been a big so uh, excited for big you. week for me i love you melissa thank you so much and um with all of those out of the way let's let's dive in so rachel go ahead and uh, share your story with us today we are so excited we are so excited to hear what you have to say yeah so um i moved here to minnesota in 2000 not knowing one person and to go to the University of Minnesota. And then when I was 19, sophomore year, first semester, I went to a friend's birthday party that she was having for her boyfriend. And this tall, older guy that was almost seven years older walked in. And I was just like, ooh, he's cute, but he's so old. (laughs) (laughs) And And it ended up being this guy, Grayson, that I, within a week, was on a date with. And... We just had an amazing relationship. We dated for three years. And then when I was 22, three months after I graduated from college, we got married. And Mm. he actually worked nights. Um, So I was able to, like you ladies your age, I was able to, I'm about to be 39. At the time when I got married, what was really cool is because he worked nights, I mean, it sucked that I wasn't able to see him. But I was able to work a job, have friends, and become my own person, but still be married to him. So that was a big gift that I had as a young adult. And then when I was 27, um, I started to have, 27, 28, I started to have really bad um, physical pain. And I was diagnosed with endometriosis, where I actually Mm -hmm. had horrific cyst rupture, things like that. So in the fall of 2010, I found out that I had that, that I may not be able to have kids, things like that, which was traumatic enough. And then on New Year's Eve that year of 2010, um, my husband had a fortune cookie that said, you're about to have a major life change. We didn't know what that was, as 15 days later, he would be diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Mm. So at age 28, I was thrown into this entire world I knew nothing about whether I liked it or not. (laughs) And through that, I had to learn how to navigate um, things of his that I never had, you know, talking to his company, insurance, diagnosis, treatment, all of these things that I knew nothing about, especially at 28. I knew no one else that was going through anything like that. Um, And then, so he was very, very ill and had five intensive weeks of treatment in the hospital. And I was going back and forth just like on insane adrenaline, running back and forth from working eight hours and then letting the dog out and then back to the hospital. And once he came home, it was really funny. Um, I write about this. um, So I wrote a book, Wife, Widow, Now What? So in my book, I write about how like I thought I had more time and they were like, he's going to come home and you should be super excited. But I was like, I'm not ready (laughs) because I, you know, was preparing the house and everything and my parents, I had talked to them and they had decided, so at that point they'd been married 45 years. They're now married 55 years. Wow. They decided, yeah, they were going to come take shifts taking care of us. So my mom would have been 65. My dad was 72. So they take, came and 
took shifts taking care of us. And what was an amazing, all the good thing out of this is imagine, ladies, imagine at age 28, your mom and dad are going to come live with you. <laughs> um, you're like, and I, I was mean, just, right? And, I actually and think I would love that if the time got closer. In the moment right now, I'm like, independence. But um, <laughs> I bet I would love to have my parents be closer to me at that time. Yeah, and I was just like, I don't want my dad to fold my underwear. I don't want them in my space. You know, I don't want them in this. But it ended up being just the most amazing thing. And obviously I said my book title is Wife, Widow, Now It. So I'll go forward and say, you know, my husband is not here anymore. But what's amazing is this is like forever an amazing experience I have with my parents now. You know, 10 years after the diagnosis, eight years after my husband is gone. It's really cool that my parents and I can have this amazing connection. So they were there through that and they are not animal people. I had a dog, two cats, <laughs> things like that. So it was interesting. Throughout this, you know, I had to figure out how to take care of myself, which I'll get to, um, how to take care of myself, how to just keep going, you know, when I'm so tired. And Grayson was sick for two years and um, three months. And then two days before I turned 31, um, after him being on life support two times, um, I actually had to take him off life support. So I had to, you know, sign the papers, do the hardest things ever. He actually was amazing in that when he, he was in a clinical trial at the University of Minnesota. So he actually did extra bone marrow biopsies, which are extremely painful. And Esme, I know you know from reading your dad's memoir and things like that, they're just awful. Extra bone marrow biopsies, extra spinal taps, things like that. He would tell me like, yeah, well, you were at work today. There were like 11 students that stood around and watched. And, you know, he would do all these extra things to help people. He was just the nicest, kindest person. So he actually donated his body to the University of Minnesota. So while I'm preparing to let my husband go, I had so much peace and so much joy in knowing he was gifting himself, like beyond even, you know, everything that we were going through. So... Within that, um, I was able to find, I don't, I, I believe for me, it's my faith. It was God, but I was able to find so much peace and calmness and sereneness. And like, as I was holding him and he was dying, you know, two days after I turned 31, I didn't even cry. And I think that that's because I had the luxury of being with him, of seeing, you know, the human body can only do so much and his was to the testament the doctors were like i am so sorry there's nothing else that we can do um so i gave him i may, i actually made like a heaven playlist and i gave him just like the most amazing i believe the most amazing beautiful send-off possible um i played like new order and joy division and you know all of his favorite stuff and was there with them and I actually talk about in the book how even after he had died and his heart stopped and everything and I'm collecting my things to leave, I uncover him again, play his favorite song in the entire world, do a little dance for like 15 seconds to say like, you did make cancer because he did. It was ultimately the side effects. And then I covered him back up and left. And then at that point, I had to become Rachel 2.0. 
So my book is split in half of being a cancer wife and then being a widow. So then after he died, I had this whole life, this whole, what am I going to do now, right? I'm a widow, now what? So I had the memorial service, which was just super weird. Because imagine like walking down the aisle with your husband's best friend that you're friends with and everyone's staring at you in a church and you're like, this is weird. This is, <laughs> this is not the way that it's supposed to be. I thought, you know, if we had, you know, a, what do you call it? Like anniversary, you know, wedding or whatever, do, you right. do your vows again, things like that. Um, so I went through all of that. And then three months after he died, I actually decided I have to get out of here. My friends were amazing. They did fundraisers, different things for me. So I actually went to Alaska um, for 17 days by myself, which was just all the good things. One of the most amazing things I could have done. I went on a cruise up and down the Inside Passage. If you're not familiar with it, it's like from... Anchorage down to Vancouver and back and there are all these places that you can only get to by boat or plane so within the space and time of being you know cancer wife and then widow and all these things I somehow knew I needed to to take these opportunities to do these important things for myself that I would be able to look back on I just knew there were pieces of me that needed to sustain what they were in those things so through all this difficulty, a year after he died in 2014, I decided um, I need to write this down. It was so hard. I had no navigational guide. You know, everyone knows cancer hits so many people, but how do you do it when you're 28? How do you, how do you be a widow at 31? What are all those different things? So I actually decided to write it down on paper. And what's very unique about my book is that Caring Bridge, if you're not familiar with it, here in Minnesota, there's an organization where it's a global um, platform, but it's like a um, newsletter type thing where you write so you're not inundated with everyone's texts and emails and how are you doing and how's your person. You can write an update and it gets emailed out to everyone that subscribes. So my book is literally the... Caring Bridge posts, the Facebook posts, and then later after my late husband died, I had a healing blog. So it's everything in chronological order, along with when I'm navigating insurance and treatment and diagnosis, I'm giving you all the tips, all the questions, everything to ask. So it's like a toolbox, a guide with my narrative and my love story. And then as a widow, like, oh my gosh, I'm 31. I have to plan a funeral this is how you do it. This is how you do it on the cheap. <laughs> you know, all those different things. So within healing and figuring out all of this, I made kind of like my own um, eat, pray, love type journey of how I did all that and then put it on paper. So as of today, it has been since I published my book at the end of September, it's been 10 years and a couple months since his diagnosis, April 21st, it will be eight years since he's died. I'm here today to say, despite all these horrible things that I've quickly touched on, I'm okay. And what's amazing is I wrote this book as a cancer spouse for cancer spouses or significant others. I have it very geared toward any 
anyone, anyone, whether you're married, gay, straight, whatever, anyone. So it's applicable to everyone. But when you're going through something that tough, you need something like this. So what I was going to say is I, I wrote it for cancer, but now it it's applicable to COVID. What I wanted to put out there because you really do feel alone. You really do feel isolated. And it's my gift to the world of I did this. It's horrific. I am so sorry. I totally wish I could take it away, but I did it. And all your, all these years later, I've gone from having a grenade literally blow up my life in my face with my husband later to me where I'm having to reboot myself like a computer to now where I'm co-running certain groups and doing trivia night for local cancer caregiver coalitions. I'm running for woman of the year here in Minnesota, trying to raise $60,000 for the leukemia and lymphoma society. And my mentors, my mentors, Esme's dad. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible when you think about it because every time I'm on a podcast or I talk about this, I don't even feel like it's me. I feel like I'm talking about someone else's story And writing this book, every time I edited it, and, you know, I had a professional editor, but I edited it eight times myself as well. It was a lot of PTSD, very, very painful. But every time I edited it, every time I talk about it, I'm farther and farther away from it where it doesn't seem like me. And in my writing process, I would write for, like, say, six hours, and then I would cry for, like, 20 minutes, and I would be crying not for me, but for the woman who went through this, if that makes sense. Like, how did she do this? That's insane. I feel so bad for her. And it's like, dude, it's you. It's my experience written down for other people of how I figured out the hard way (laughs) with a lot of trial and error, especially with, you know, all the things that are out there, you need to surround yourself with positivity, whether it's not listening to emo music or not listening, you know, watching sad shows. Like I was so excited throughout my grief journey to just belly laugh, whether it was like friends or everybody loves Raymond or, you know, those different things. I myself, you know, of course planned on having children. And six months after my late husband died, I'd had so much pain. I couldn't handle it anymore. I had a hysterectomy. There's loss after loss after loss. But I was able to say, you know, I remember when I was at the point where I would go to Target and pass like the tampon aisle and be like, suckers, that's not me anymore. So it's like you have to learn when life throws you these grenades, you have to learn how to adapt, how to work through these things, how to see all the good things. And I just remember finding so much joy throughout the really tough stuff. When life gives you super sour lemons, add a lot of sugar and make lemonade. So I just had (laughs) to figure out. Yeah, I had to figure out how to do all this and how to navigate all of it. So I just kept learning and learning. Yeah, may I interject here for a moment as well? Yeah. Well, thank you as well for being so vulnerable and coming on here to share your story with Esme and I. We really appreciate that. And I love throughout even your whole sharing experience on our podcast that you have this way of making it lighthearted despite it being such heavy, a heavy experience that you went through. And we by no means have experienced this firsthand in our lives. And I 
I know I can say personally that I can't imagine what that must feel like, but the way that you came out of it and you said, like, I had to figure out who Rachel 2.0 was, and it inspires me to know that despite having challenges that were unexpected thrown your way and to really quite literally disrupt your life, that you were able to somehow reinvent yourself. And I think it's special that you were able to process and write a book through it and turn that story into a a memoir, into written word that you can look back on and be proud of the person that you grew from. But I was going to ask, um, would you say after writing this book that you found a new purpose? Was Rachel 2.0 reinvented after this book came into fruition? Yeah, I feel like she's like 3.0. She's like, <laughs> Melissa, 2.0 happened. I'm on to the, I'm on level 3000 now. Well, what is Rachel 3.0? What would you say you appreciate about life more now that you've gone through that experience? Before I had it all down, it was like I was holding it in. So I had so much nervousness about of my own, not for how anyone else would feel, but like having it all in me so once it was all out on paper it was like I pressed um because it's only on Amazon I pressed publish it was like yeah (laughs) it was just like it's out it's done it's It's not just on my computer yeah and it took I started piecing the picture the um post in order the different social media posts back in 2014 actually but it did take me about two and a half years to write um from last fall back behind that So having all of that out, when I was dating and Rachel 2.0 and these different things, I just realized, like, first of all, it's really intimidating to people to try to date a widow because you don't have an ex, you don't have someone that you hate, all these types of things. So what was freeing within that is I was learning so much about myself, just authentically all out. So now that it's literally out to the world, anyone can read it. I'm more than ever in my life. Like, I, I don't, I don't care. I don't care what anyone thinks about me. Um, I'm trying to teach a y- little young lady in my life that as well, that's under 10. And it's funny because like my own mom, my letter, and she's going to hear this and that's fine. I don't care. <laughs> My letter that I sent out for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, there's one where it's like one of the pictures of me in it. I think it's cute. I had someone take a picture of me where I'm holding the paper copy of my book when it first came in the mail. So the first time ever. And my hair is pinned back and my mom's like, she told me the other day, she's like, you're showing too much of your forehead. And I was just like, you know what? I don't care. (laughs) My forehead is beautiful. Everyone can look at it. But it's those little things where it's just like you, when you go through something this huge, you can't let those little things any of any sort matter. And your purpose becomes, at least for me, my purpose is how do I help other people not feel like I was? And the thing about a catastrophic, I keep saying that, but I don't just don't want to make it just cancer. But the thing about a really tough illness and death and grief and loss and those things are as much as I know my journey and my book will help people, everyone's experience is different. Everyone's is going to be different. I mean, look at COVID. Look at how many different levels there are. What I was able to take through with me, and I think a big thing that made my process a lot easier than a lot of other people's, 
is as much as I grieved and grieve not being able to have children, I, because I was then a widow, single, I had the luxury of saying, okay, this is my life. I'm going to take it. I'm going to move forward whether I like it or not. I didn't have to worry about little people or whatever. It was, who is Rachel going to be, right? As difficult as that was. So I was able to take with me as a grieving widow, I had an amazing marriage. I had someone love me. I knew what that was. I knew what quote unquote, you know, storybook true love really was. We really, probably because we didn't see each other a lot Monday through Friday, but we really didn't fight. We didn't, you know, all those things. We were married eight and a half years together, 11 and a half years, and it was incredible. So I was able to take with me, even in the toughest times, I had an amazing person. I loved him. He loved me. You gotta suck this up, Rachel, and go forward because you are gonna be okay. And that's something I know a lot of people don't have. A lot of people I've come across had not great marriages and then their person died. So you have all those different aspects of not having that closure. I did have the closure. Having the attitude and the hindsight of being able to do all that gave me the grace and the space, no rhyming pun intended, <laughs> I loved of, it. of being able to take it and decide, like my brother said shortly after my husband was diagnosed, you can be better, you can be bitter. And it really is true. And I have a chapter called Bitter Betty in my book, <laughs> but because I was at certain times, but when you surround yourselves with positive people, the right relationships, all these types of things, really tough stuff in life is more doable. I joined the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's team and training program, having no athletic ability to walking a half marathon, raising money. That's actually how I met Esme's dad. Um, all of these different things to where, you know, it's the night before my first half marathon I've trained forever for, for months out in the cold and negative, you know, 10 or whatever to driving home in the car with my husband who's literally crying because he's heard Esme's dad talk about his cancer journey and he feels less alone. So when you're surrounding yourselves with people who get it, when you're surrounding yourselves with adequate support, yes, you may have to look for that, but when you do that, your world can blow up in positive spaces. So, um, Rachel, I just yeah. love to say that I'm sure how... Grayson felt when he listened to my dad's story, I can guarantee you that there are going to be so many people who read your book and hear what you have to say and feel the same thing about what you went through. Also, I just need to say thank you so much for sharing your story and for being so vulnerable and for going into the details of the highs and the lows. And what I hear when I hear you share your story is someone who was able to not just be in the storm cloud, but step back and see that the rest of the sky exists as well. And also someone who was able to go through and experience grief with so much grace. And I think where people get stuck or where people get you know, depressed or anxious or you know, chronically in this place where they can't move on is because they haven't fully allowed themselves to experience that emotion of loss or of grief and um, they just get they just get stuck in it so even when you were sharing how you were able to write a bunch and then cry 
for 20 minutes like that's grief being released and it's it was beautiful to hear and my um my like my big question for you is because you kind of dove back into these moments where you're like yeah I wrote a whole chapter on how it was bitter (laughs) Betty you're like yep it sucked balls for for a long time there knowing how you feel now and like this beautiful place in your life that you're at right now if you could drive back or time warp to you at your lowest points in that journey if you could just like give yourself some advice or tell yourself one like concise clear thing while you were in those valleys in the in the belly of the waves what would you what would you say to yourself yeah for sure so an analogy that I've been using that I love is Okay, so think about back in, like, Alaska and Canada and the Klondike times, how people would, you know, in our imagination now, in reality, they were not adequately bundled up to be able to go up those hills to mine for gold. Those people put it all on the line just to go for some nuggets of gold to change their life. So what I wish I could have told myself is... I was going to find nuggets of gold within what was going on. I think no matter how ugly or how hard your circumstance is, there are things that are happening that you are totally not aware of that are going to make you your 2.0 or your 3.0. Whether you're going to become an advocate or, you know, your coworker is going through a really tough time and you can say, I am so sorry I've been there and mean it. So I actually work in mental health, taking calls in an insurance company, and I talk to people who call in who have lost their children, their spouses, whatever, and the most powerful thing is for me to say, I've been there, I am so sorry. I am so sorry, and mean it. I mean, can you imagine having a calling in and someone's like, I get it, and they really do. So I think knowing that when you're going through something difficult, it's not pretty, It's not easy. It is definitely not fair. But what you're going through, you're going to find nuggets of gold that you're going to be able to use later in life. I really don't believe in that everything happens for a reason because there are terrible things that happen in life. But the grace of God to give you the grace of whatever's happening in that circumstance that you'll be able to use a couple pieces of that It's not going to make sense at the time, but if you can look back on it and be like, I did learn that. And then whether you're helping yourself or someone else, you're going to gain something from that that you will be able to use later in life that I think will lead you on a new path. And that's really powerful. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Rachel. Yeah. Melissa, do you want to wrap us up here? Yes, I would. Thank you, Rachel, for coming on to our podcast today and sharing with us your story directly to our listeners. It was such a treat to have you on to tell the story yourself and from your perspective. We are so honored that you were so vulnerable with us. And to our listeners, if you want Rachel's full story, please order her book, Wife, Widow, Now What? And there's a nice little surprise at the end that really ties in together the fact that you will be okay. And Rachel is a perfect example of that. And if this story, if this episode uplifted you in any way, or if you know someone in your life who needs a little message of hope, who needs a gold nugget reminder 
please consider sending them a link to our episode or sharing all the good things podcasts with them for a chance to share their story as well. We will see you next Monday, bright eyed and bushy tailed for another good things podcast. Thank you and talk to you soon. All the good things. We got all the good things. A story to uplift and moments of bliss to remind us all that life is a gift and because we truly care, all the good things we share, all the good